All right, as we continue our series here on, on how to deal with conflict and find peace in our lives, uh, Dave read for us a passage that um, largely in churches today is greatly neglected. Uh, but it would be ideal, wouldn't it, if every time we went to someone that we had a concern with, the end would always be positive. They'll always come out and we'd become agreeable. In fact, we looked at one couple this morning in our morning Bible study of Yodi and Syntyche. Uh, we don't know what they were arguing over, but there was something they were not getting long and Paul said you two get together and get it resolved and and so uh, I believe that every situation if all parties are willing to work at it can be resolved so God has given us his further instructions and we're going to look at them this morning and uh, so if you're not any issues that you need to solve with somebody now keep this in the back of your head because you probably will need it at some point um, first place you'll probably be able to use it is at home uh, between husband and wife or maybe uh, parent and child uh, but even at work sometimes and even though at work you may be dealing with unsaved individuals I believe still as Christians we're obligated to go to them and try to work things out now I don't think we can expect the same outcome because they may not be geared to what the scriptures have to say uh, and, and go that route but I really believe and I've seen this happen many times with, when a saved individual approaches an unsaved individual gentle and with humility seeking a, a resolution that will uh, get their friendship back and maintain that. I've seen a higher respect among the unsaved for the believer because most people think we are set ourselves above them and, and we're better than them and so we can't humble ourselves and I, I really believe without a doubt even the unsaved world has a great respect for humility. And so we need to keep that in mind. That is a key. And, and Mike pointed that out in our Bible study this morning. In order for Yoda and Syntyche to get together, both of them had to become humble. And if there is any, any pride anywhere, the problem is not going to be resolved. And so when you have issues between individuals, whatever it is, humility is the key. Both of us must come in humility and work it out. So we're going to look at uh, some aspects of this this morning and and again, this is a difficult passage simply because it means we have to confront individuals with sin issues, and that's not a fun thing to do. And quite frankly, most churches don't do it today. Uh, but we're going to look at it anyways because it's what Scripture teaches, and in this church we will do that as long as I'm pastor, he will do that because it's an absolute necessity for everybody involved. And we're going to look at that. So. Um, if we've done all we can do on a one-to-one -one basis, and we've talked about that before up to this point, uh, we've approached them on the one-to-one basis maybe several times. We've been praying about it. Uh, we've done everything we can to sit down with them and work it out, and, and we just don't seem to be making any progress. And, and so now we have Matthew 18. This is normally called the discipline passage. I prefer to call the restoration process because that is ultimately the goal. There's more emphasis on restoration than there is in discipline. That's the final step. And that even is meant to be a process of restoration if you look at the whole process. So we're going to look at the restoration process. When believers are dealing with sin, God expects us to keep the circle of people as small as possible. Look at verses 15 and 16. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So if you have a problem between two individuals, you don't take it somewhere else. You go to that person on a one-to-one -one basis and you sit down with them. We have a concern. 
Now, maybe they don't see the concern. Is that ever a possibility? Certainly. But if it's bothering you, then the Bible says you go to them. I, I got to work this out. It's a problem with me. Maybe it's not with you. And, and that's usually the easy way because now you got to. It's just you that needs to make some adjustments, and that's easy to do. But when we keep it among ourselves, that eliminates the possibility of gossip. So there's a, there's a biblical reason for this. Gossip can do more damage, as you will know, than anything. And so we want to keep it between ourselves as much as possible. Again, to review a little bit from last week. Can we overlook this as a minor offense? We have to look at the situation. Is this really worth addressing? And are we willing to give up our personal rights for the purpose of glorifying God? We'll develop that a little bit more as we go along here. You may be perfectly right because of preference issues and so on that I have this right. But for the cause of Christ and the image of Christ, is this really worth pursuing and pressing? Have we talked in private? Again, we're emphasizing, is this issue clearly defined as material, personal, or both? It might be over material things. It might be just a personal personality conflict, preference conflicts. It may not be a sin issue at all. But as we've already mentioned several times and repeated again, a good thing become a bad thing when it becomes the most important thing. So we might take a good thing and turn it into a, a sin issue because this is the way it must be because this is the way I want it. Now we got a problem. And now we turn a good thing into a bad thing and we want to avoid that. So we got to look at whether this is a, a personal thing. If there's a material thing, we'll look at how we handle that here in a little bit as well. But have we, on a one-to-one -one basis, exhausted all of our efforts? When we are convinced, and the other person as well, that we're not making any progress, now it's time to get somebody else involved. And let's look at verse 16. But when, you, when he will not hear, take you through one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now we're trying to establish some kind of a track record here as to how things are progressing or digressing, whatever the situation may be. Now this is what I believe we ought to do. If we are aware that there are other individuals that are also aware of the same situation, now I would strongly suspect that if we're doing this properly, this is not something that's going to happen in a day or two. This may take a month, six weeks, and we're trying to address this thing with individuals, trying to get things worked out. We're not in a hurry, unless it's something crucial, and I have never ever seen anything that was so crucial. We had to do it yesterday. There's always time. But if that is not what's taking place, by now, perhaps, maybe some others are aware of the situation as well. Again, to keep it as private as possible, take those individuals with you. They should be individuals that understand this process. They should not be new believers, young believers that may not understand it, but preferably take those who are familiar with this Matthew 18 passage of the restoration process. And go to them, on a, again, gently, humbly, for the purpose of restoration, and that for the purpose of getting my way or our way. Now, 
these individuals that come with you, they will help sing, sing, bring some kind of an understanding to the situation. And there's no way we can go through all the scenarios of, of, of possible situations because uh, there could be a variety of things. So you just got to take it as it develops. But um, the question we need to be asking ourselves, is this about Christ or is this about me? If it's about Christ, we may have to concede on some things to keep the glory of God. Look at verse 18. As surely I send you more, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. Our goal ultimately, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is our ultimate goal. So they will seek to improve the communication. And I'm sure you've had this happen as husband and wife. You're both carrying on the same conversation. It's, you're using the English language, but it's not connected, right? Um, you wonder, what language are you speaking? It sounds like we're saying the same thing, but we're not connecting. That happens. Part of it, I think, is the female brain works one way and the male brain works another, and sometimes they just don't mesh. But go to the Word of God. It can help us bring it together. And we can help, others can help step in there. And in light of that, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Because I don't know about you, when I get into a situation like with that with my wife, I get frustrated. And I start... The tone of voice isn't healthy, and she thinks I'm yelling at her. I'm not. I'm just frustrated. And, but we've come to work with it. But verse 20 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, what's involved in that corrupt word? That should not proceed from our mouth. Uh, first thing that comes to my mind is, is maybe calling each other names, uh, wrong tone of voice, maybe raising their voice, using foul language, all those things. But I believe that it goes even farther than that because how do we communicate? Have you ever looked at someone and you know there's something wrong? Because their countenance, there's something about their countenance realize they're hurting or they're in pain or they're suffering or something. You, we can communicate. In fact, you... Uh, my boys knew what that was like when um, they were little. They would sit up front. Brenda was at the piano. I was so concentrated on the music and my preaching that I didn't see what was going on in the front pew. Uh, but my boys could feel my wife's eyes on them. Okay? And all they had to do was look at their mother and they knew they were in trouble. There was something about the mother's countenance that was getting through. She was communicating without even saying a word. Alright? We've all done that, right? To some form or another. So I believe that's part of this. Everything we do is for two reasons. I want you to note them. Circle them in your Bible. Whatever you got to do to remember it. Whatever communicates from my body, from my mouth, from my eyes, whatever it is, is for the purpose of necessary edification. And nothing should come from my lips, nothing should come from my body that's not helpful in some way to bring edification. The second thing is to impart grace to the hearers. 
What we're doing is we're trying to help the individual be willing to listen to what the Word of God has to say to find a biblical resolution. Now, that's why I say with my wife sometimes when I'm communicating, I get frustrated because I'm, because I'm not looking for her to agree with me. I'm just looking for her to say I understand, but I disagree. Hey, I'm 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 okay with that. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I just want you to understand. But we don't get there. Sometimes it takes days before we get around to that, but eventually we get there. That's what we need to do here. Uh, and again, again, we're talking about Yodi and Syntyche. That may have been their situation. They, they may never agree, but they can go on and move without having to be agreeable. Are we always going to agree on every detail in life? Absolutely not. There's some things we're just going to say, this is not significantly important, so let's just agree to disagree and move on. That's what God wants us to do. So all that can help with these other people stepping in. And, and you know how it is, and, and I, I just uh, shared this with an individual here recently. There are times when, especially early on in our marriage, the communication was not going well. Uh, mostly my fault, more than my wife's, I have to admit. But sometimes I get so emotionally involved that it was hard for me to communicate without poor communication. So what I would do, I would take time to write out on a piece of paper what I need to say. Now this was for her benefit, but more for mine. I could choose my words. I could get my emotions under biblical control, Holy Spirit control, think through the situation, say, here's my conclusion. Here's where I'm coming from. And then I'd give it to her to read. Sometimes she would do the same thing. Other times she'd come and say, okay, I, got, I get your point. Let's discuss it some more. But sometimes writing out what needs to be said, how it needs to be said, with a godly point of view will help you get the emotions down so you, the brain's not going ahead of the mouth. That's really dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> when the mouth wants to fly ahead of the, the brain, we say things that we wish we could pull back. Because you know how it is. Once those words are said... It's like a bullet. You can't take it back. Now, I think the damage can be done when we can say, you know, I was wrong. Please forgive me. That was the inappropriate thing to say. It was wrong for me to say that. And we can fix those things. But So we need, these individuals sometimes will act as arbitrators. They can be asked by mutual agreement to make a decision on the matter. Now this is especially if there's a personal thing involved or a, a, a material thing involved. Um, one book I read, a guy had a, an issue with an employee over wages and so on. And they're both brothers. It was a Christian working for a Christian. And things weren't going very well. They weren't getting it resolved. So they asked the pastor, deacon to come in and, and said, hey, we, we're not coming to a conclusion. We're going to trust it to you guys to make a decision that will please the Lord. And we we want you to make that decision. That's great when that kind of works out that way. But uh, so sometimes they need to be stepped in, and we'll develop this a little more later as we think about should Christians go to court. But make all the efforts possible, even with these individuals, these extra witnesses, back to Matthew 18, until someone refuses to listen. Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says, At this point, the matter needs to come before the whole church family. And this is when it 
Um, you don't want to do that, but sometimes it needs to be done. It says, As surely I send you whatever you bind up. Uh, where are we at? Verse 17. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let it be unto him like a heathen and a tax collector. So now the church, and this is not just church as the world sees it. This is family. All right? The family needs to be involved. And, and, and you got to look at this like it was family. Husband, wife, kids, grandkids, grandparents, whatever. Okay? Family now gets involved. The whole family is here. It's a family matter. We're going to try as a family to bring some biblical resolution to the situation. Hopefully they're going to listen to those that love them. They're going to come gently. And quite frankly, there's some pastors that have done this very, very wrong. From the pulpit, they embarrass the individuals by bringing all the dirt out the way they do. That's not the way it's meant to be done. It needs to be done gently. And in fact, it would never be done here in a church service like this. There would be a special business meeting to handle that kind of thing. Because there's some guests here. And you shouldn't be involved in that. It's for church family members. And uh, those who do that have given a bad name to church discipline within the church. And that is not the way God intends for it to be done. But the church members are to be involved, and their goal is to encourage that saint to acknowledge the sin and to repent of the sin. Now, what's repentance? Just simply a reminder, remind you, repentance means this is my sinful behavior, this is what I'm doing, but I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to do it God's way. That's what repentance is. That's what we all, and every one of us that has been involved in this, have done some repentance, hopefully. And so we can help the other individual who may be struggling with this. Now, what do we do if they won't even listen to the church? Verse 17 is very clear. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like unto a heathen and a tax collector. Now, what's a heathen and a tax collector? A heathen is an unsaved individual. What's a tax collector? What's that got to do with it? Well, in that day and age, the tax collector was like an IRS. Low man on a totem pole. <laughs> they, were not, they were looked at as criminals. They were hired by the Roman government to collect taxes and says, this is how much we want for the empire. What you get for your wages, we don't care. So guess what they did? They basically robbed the people blind for the, with their wages. There's a, there's a man in the Bible that we know of, a little short guy called Zacchaeus. That was him. He is a wealthy man because he robbed the people blind. Zacchaeus knew that too, didn't he? Because when he got saved, what did he say he will do? I will return what I stole fourfold. And so the tax collector was considered someone that was not very well liked and probably not a believer. So what is the church to do? Well, ultimately, can we determine without a shadow of a doubt that someone is saved or not saved? No, we can't. Because can believers act like unbelievers? Absolutely. An example of that would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, Mike brought that up in our, our study this morning. Here's a man that was sleeping with his stepmother and was bragging about it. And he was a Christian of the Corinthian church. 
You wonder, how can a Christian do that? Well, I think if we look at the world we live in, there's not a lot of real stable Christians out there. There's a lot of Christians out there that are doing things they should not be, and they're excusing it, they're rationalizing, they're ignoring it. So yes, Christians can act as bad as the rest of the world. But ultimately, God says we need to be fruit inspectors. If they have refused every effort to look at the Word of God and to change their behavior, you are, we, we can only come to one conclusion from what we see. You are an unsaved individual, and we're going to dismiss you as a member of the body of the Christ as an unbeliever. Now, there's two reasons I believe that should be done. One, what if they are an unbeliever and they gave us the right answers and came a part of the body? I believe that's happened. Especially in the past. Not too much anymore, but years ago, everybody knew what you had to do to get saved. And they could give you the right answers. And they would pray the sinner's prayer, believing there was magic in those words. I prayed these words and I'm going to heaven. But there's no real acknowledgement of their sinfulness and acknowledgement what Christ did for them. And so we bring them into the church because they gave us all the right words. I got to admit, as a pastor, there's people in the past that gave me all the right words. We discipled them along and they answered all the questions. And we taught them what baptism was all about. But I had this uneasy feeling in my gut. This person does not really understand what's going on. And in every one of those cases, those individuals eventually drifted off. They did not stay faithful to the Word of God. But ultimately, and I've shared this with folks before, I kind of wish that when we became a believer, uh, our noses would glow, and then we would know exactly where you're at, you know? Um, if you're a believer, we're going to approach it this way. If you're not, we're going to approach it as an unsaved believer. But we don't get that, do we? It's not that simple. But we have to do what God tells us to by what we see. And if this has been going on for several weeks, maybe even up two, three, four months, six months, depending on what the situation, there's no specific time frame in which we look at this. But if every effort has been made, and, and I've even in, in these situations when we begin to do these things, I begin to record the efforts. Because if it's private, and one of you have been dealing with someone on a one-to-one -one basis, I recommend you start making notes about when you talked to them, what you discussed, and how it was received. And, and then when you get to the point where this is not working, I need more help, now you can come to the pastor or the deacon or both or a couple other people and say, this is what I've done. Have I done everything I can do? Is there anything I'm missing here? And you can share what you've been doing. Now, these individuals will do the same thing. And again, I recommend you make notes. That, that see what you're doing so there's a good track record. Because now, if they don't listen to that, now it's got to come before the church family. And so my question, well, have you done everything? Here's what we've done. Here's our track record. Here's the conversation we had. Here's the Word of God. Here's what we've been sharing. Here's what we've been encouraging. And here's the result so far. We don't believe there's a biblical resolution to this. Now the church family sees, and they can build on what you've been building on. 
And now the whole church family say, can go in here and say, well, what is your concern? Why are, we love you. Why aren't you obeying the word of God here with us? The scripture is very clear about what we need to do. And now, if it comes to that final step that we're talking about here, every effort has been done that we can think of. It's been saturated with prayer. There's nothing more that we can think of doing except maybe if there's any ray of hope. I, I, I'm, this is who I am, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but if I see any ray of hope at all, I give it time. Because one thing we've got to remember in this whole process, the one-on-one, -on -one, you are not the Holy Spirit. The pastor and deacons that come with you, they are not the Holy Spirit. And even the church family, as they address it, they are not the Holy Spirit. We are simply to administer the Word of God in a gentle, humble way and let the Holy Spirit take them from there. Now my question is, why does God need us at all? <laughs> Why? Because we are trying to restore that individual. But in the process, this is a sanctification process for them and for us. This is meant to, in fact, Galatians 6.1 says, approach someone who needs help, but beware lest you succumb to that sin issue as well. So as we're all involved in this, what are we doing? We're exposing ourselves to a sin issue that perhaps we are wrestling with and we can get it under control. Or we can see a warning here, I don't want to go there. So it becomes a sanctification process for the whole church family. Because what's the number one biggest issue in our lives and in the church today? Sin. How many sins have we swept under the rug? How many sins have we redefined? How many sins have we rationalized? Every time we do that, all we do is hurt ourselves as an individual and hurt ourselves as a church. Is it any wonder today, the church universal, and by that I mean that, every church that preaches the gospel, is it any wonder it is so weak today? Church after church after church after church all through history is watering down the effects of sin and the ugliness and the hatred of sin. And so God demands for us as a church to do this for my benefit as well as us. And I've seen all too often. In fact, I've, I've seen an exception to the rule. Most churches I've seen, when they begin to ignore sin, in fact, my wife and I, uh, our first church when we were married, um, we come to realize through a business meeting that there was something seriously wrong in the church, but we had no clue what it was. And maybe I should tell you a little bit about what, so you can understand where we're coming from. This church had a Christian school, and they used the church facility for the school. And so every Sunday night, they had to make a transition. Every Friday night, they had to transition the, the, the church building from the school to the church. They inherited $170,000. They had seven acres out behind the church. They had plans to build a school building. And we saw them argue for four hours what to do with that money when it was as clear as the nose on her face what God would have to do with it. 
I told my wife, there's got to be something more behind all this. We went on vacation that week. We prayed, God, if we're part of the problem in some way, bring it to our attention. If not, show us what it is. We weren't home five minutes. And the chairman of the deacon board called me on the phone and just blistered my ear with all kinds of gossip. I said, well, that's not good. Before the end of the day was over, I found out a man had been sleeping with another woman in the church. And so I went to the pastor and said, Pastor, I know some facts that you need to be aware of. We got some things we need to address. That pastor put me off for six weeks. I said, Pastor, this cannot wait. This needs attention right now. In the meantime, we found out another couple had been sleeping together in the church. Nobody saw how important this was. So I finally went to the deacon board and shared it with them. And they began to address it, but it didn't get out of the deacon board. You can imagine what happened at church. In time, they just drifted off. Four months later, after we left the church, the pastor knocked on the door and said, I understand you had some concerns. I said, you know all about it now. It's too late now. If you had dealt with it as it should have been dealt with in the beginning, this might have not got where it got. He said, well, young man, you have no idea what it's like to be a pastor. I said, Pastor, I've learned one thing very important from you. When someone from my congregation says there's something important, I will be there. Not four months later. This is not pastoring. And by God's grace, I've done that every time I can. That church died. Now, the exception to the rule, my sister fell into sin. My dad asked for church discipline. And it split the church right down the middle. My dad, that night in church, read his resignation. The chairman of the board said, yeah, I agree. Sign my name to the, that. And the pastor got up and said, yeah, sign my name to that too. I expected that church to go backwards. Because most churches do. But that church, somewhere along the line, repented of what they did and got back online. And that church is thriving today. But that's a ex rare exception to the rule. Praise God for that. So, we must take sin seriously within the body. Within our own personal lives, it's serious business. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Promise from God. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for the good things in sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That simply means this. I am responsible for my half of the argument, as it were. It's not my responsibility to change the other. But I am responsible to respond to the Word of God. And it is possible to find peace. Now, on doctrinal issues, 
There's no wiggle room. There's only one correct interpretation of this Bible. We have a very well-defined doctrinal statement of what we believe and why we believe it. But there's a lot of preference issues. And that's where the rubber comes in in most of the cases. And so we, we need to agree to disagree in those particular, those particular situations. This will help other believers to be careful about the sin in their own life, as we mentioned in Galatians 6.1. This will help purge the church of serious sins that will hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How are we grieving? Simply by sin. And sin may not always be an action. It may, or an, it may be just an attitude. But that sin, if left alone, will act like a cancer and will just eat us right up as a church. This is the way for the church to demonstrate their love for the Lord towards the wayward member. In fact, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Because I have heard this, and we don't do discipline in our church because the Bible says, Judge not that ye be not judged. Let me tell you folks, they are misinterpreting that scripture. That passage says, Judge not ye be not judged means be careful how you judge. Because the way you judge is going to come back and bite you. Our judgment is to be gentle and humble, not bold and abrasive. But Hebrews 12 makes it very clear. My son, do not, verse 5, do not despise the chastened Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord loves whom he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So by us saying, I'm not going to discipline you, I'm not going to try to restore you, you know what you're saying? I love myself more than you because I, I don't want that ass. We have several folks that are coming in for counseling right now. They're coming from other churches. Every one of them, every one of them, I've asked them, will you please ask your pastor to come in and help me with this process? Because you're going to go back to them. And I want them to be involved in this process. You know how many pastors have come? Zilch. You know why they're coming to me? Our pastor won't do that. They don't want to get there. In fact, one said, our pastor will do his counseling from the pulpit. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty in the messes that you guys are in. Now, if that was my pastor, I wouldn't be there very long. <laughs> because he doesn't really love them. He only loves himself. Should believers go to court? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. This passage is very clear on this passage as well. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and do not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints would judge the world? And if the world would be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know what, that we shall judge another or judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Pretty clear, isn't it? If we have a legal matter between us, where's it to come? Bring it to the church and we will resolve it. 
Because how much testimony is going to be left behind in a court of law? Especially in this court of law today. Now, again, if we go through the Matthew 18 process, and then one individual gets dismissed as an unsaved individual, now we have a little different situation. We've declared them as an unsaved individual because they're not responding in a godly way. Now I think it's, if necessary, we can take them to court. But I still think if it's at all possible, we should resolve it here. And if more things are being resolved in the local church the way they should be, maybe our court system wouldn't be as bad as it is today. So Christians should avoid taking Christians to court. You say, it's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about the image of Christ. The laws of the land are very expensive. And oftentimes, by the time you settle the situation in court, you spent more money trying to get it resolved than if you just ignored it. Now, Sheriff, you probably saw some of that, didn't you? Yep. The world needs to see the believers are able to resolve their issues in a godly manner. We as believers need to know how to be peacemakers. And I believe we can. Because God has given us enough truth in the Word of God that we can resolve anything. So there's things that need to be considered when we go to court. How much damage will be done to the name of Christ? How much money will be spent to resolve the issue, and is it really worth that expense? One pastor shared that with two men who were going to court against another Christian. He said, how much is this going to cost you? And they actually sat down and, and got a pretty close estimation it was going to cost them. It was going to cost them more, twice as much to get it resolved than if they just ignored it. So what did they do? They just ignored it. It wasn't worth it. And then, how much time is wasted in court? Too much time. When it can be used for some other way. So... On the issues of resolving things, you got a problem with somebody, one-on-one. -on -one. If after sufficient prayer and time and studying the scriptures together, you can't come to an agreement that is glorifying to God, then bring somebody else in to help. Mature believers, don't bring in someone who's just going to be on your side. That's where your pastor and deacons can help you out there. They're going to take you to the scriptures. If that doesn't work after sufficient prayer, sufficient Bible study, simple application of God's word, then it comes before the church family. And if there's a court situation, in that time and frame, the church will seek to resolve that in a way that will glorify God. Because there's too many out there that use the excuse of not becoming a Christian because the Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And in some cases, they're absolutely right. But do we want that title put on us as Galilean Baptist Church? No. Not when we're trying to reach the community and let them know we have the solution to your concerns and your problems. Peace can be found. And Paul, again, as we looked at this morning in our Bible study, challenged Yoda and Syntyche. Be of one mind. Be agreeable with what Christ says. 
Can't go wrong with that. It's not about me. In fact, how many times, and if, you've not, if you're not doing this, you need to do this. When you get into a conflict, you've got to stop and think, how much of this is about me? How much of this is what I want instead of what Christ wants? That will resolve 90% of our problems. It's not about me. It's about what Christ wants. And when we do that, okay, Lord, I can give up my rights. If I didn't even Paul say that, all things are, how do you put that? Um, I can do anything I want, but I'm not going to let anything control me. I'm not going to let anything be so important to me that I'm going to damage the image of my Savior and hinder you, and maybe as a newer believer. I'm not going to go there. It's not worth it. Life is too short. Let's enjoy as much of it and, and enjoy that joy and peace in Christ by doing it God's way. Father, thank you for the Word of God. These are difficult days when so few really want to do things God's way. And yet, Father, what an awesome thing it is to see you work in our lives and change our hearts and our minds and do things the way they ought to be done. So, Father, when an issue begins, whether it be at home or brother or sister in our church or in our neighborhood or someone we work with, whatever it may be, may we love you enough to go loving to them humbly and gently and say, uh, I got a concern. Maybe it's nothing, but would you mind sitting down and working with me on this and, and helping me out so I've got it right? And may we find that peace that only you can provide through the Word of God. And Father, if it gets more complex and more ugly because of the sin nature getting in the way, may we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us first than in the other individual that when it's all said and done, there will be restoration and not a disciplinary action. And Father, should there be a situation where there's a, a, what appears to be a court case, may we love you enough to resolve it here within the, the confines of our own church family that you might be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.